<laughs> well, that's not the right song. <laughs> oh, I thought, well, hey, a little variety. That was all right. I, but I'm like, wow, it's going to be a little bit of a tough con to kind of talk over to get the show introduction to. So. Yeah, yeah. I had no audio in my headphones. Oh, and so okay. I'm like... <laughs> I'm still just pro- I'm still just processing what's happened. Just trying to I'm just trying to unpack it all. We call this got our face on the screen. Looks good rather than a cat face. So. Oh, That's true too. And I'm not a cat. I'm live. <laughs> and the fact that the filter, you know, the eyes just followed with and what have you, that was so much fun. Okay, so we're going to be cutting this part out of the recording. smooth as always is the production work here on the saturday morning sports symporium my name's justin lee i'm joined by adam swenson and brandon lee good morning gentlemen good morning justin and brandon good morning so plenty to talk about today. Um, gosh, there was a Super Bowl. Uh, there might have been a trade that somebody might want to talk about with the Lions. Pistons wings are in full swing, such as that is. Uh, baseball has some news. And um, we're going to talk some college basketball. Spring training's about to start. So plenty of things for us to get to on this snowy February morning, Valentine's Day weekend, too. The producer of this program is going to be looking for work after the show, so just so you know. Uh, anyway, uh, good thing we have a good thing we have a good budget to go find out a new one. So. Exactly, exactly. All right, so we are back uh, after a couple of weeks, and now post Super Bowl. And um, it, hang on, I've got something coming in from the uh, fact check department. Uh, oh, uh, the Chiefs just got called for pass interference. Um, so, anyway, um, yeah, that was pretty disappointing for everyone except for the Buccaneers. I think. Well, when you think when you think about the game, you know, and the expectations, and you know, I mean, when we were signing off on the last show, I, I, you know, unequivocally said that you know the one thing I knew that was going to happen was the Packers were going to win against the Buccaneers. Well, <laughs> whatever you do, don't don't be flying to Vegas putting money on stuff like uh, or go on your app or whatever at least three weeks in advance uh, or two weeks in advance. Uh, but, but guys, I mean, first off, you take a step back, you look at championship weekend. It was amazingly amazing to me how futile the Packers looked against the, the Buccaneers. Um, and, you know, and when you fast forward, um, I thought the Kansas City Buffalo game was going to be a lot closer than it was. Um, uh, but you know, when, when you think about the first game, uh, you know, that, that, that the first game I'm mentioning, um, you know, 
that Tampa Bay defense is unbelievable. Todd Bowles has, and don't get me wrong, Todd Bowles has some talent on that defense. No one's arguing that. But it, he really, really to me, he's the MVP of Tampa Bay. Not Bruce Arians, not Tom Brady, not Mike Evans, not Rob Gronkowski. It, it is Todd Bowles. And we talked about him a little on the last show. And I continue to believe that I, not enough words are able to be put out there for a guy that quite honestly has definitely revived himself after uh, what some seem to believe a, a lackluster performance uh, coaching tenure uh, with the, the, the New York Jets. But certainly you would think that he would be at the top of the list next year for head coaching job and really should be this year if they did things right, like not start that season until after the Super Bowl. Um, and then mo moving on, you, you look at the uh, – and, and again, on the Green Bay side, uh, Aaron Rodgers, amazing uh, that he was not able to, to figure out a way around the Buccaneers. Uh, and, and, of course, the, the, the decision to kick the field goal there at the uh, – um, you know, in the closing minutes was absolutely – I don't even know who agrees. And then they go back and, they, and he goes, oh, absolutely, I would do it again. I'm like, I don't even know mathematically how you get there. Uh, moving on to Kansas City uh, and, and Buffalo, certainly uh, in that particular game, uh, Josh Allen just did not have what he needed. But I, I think a large part of that has to do, again, kind of going with the theme that we just talked about with Tampa, where the uh, um, defense really – I think one of the unsung things about the Kansas City 2020 season has been how good that defense has played because at times I, that, that offense is, is, is incredible, but it always seemed like it was just it, – it, it, it never was that 100%. And that defense really, really helped out. And we talked about uh, on the last uh, show where finally, you know, Kansas City and that Buffalo game covered the, the uh, you know, uh, Vegas spread for the first time since September. And, of course, obviously didn't cover it, you know, two weeks after that. But really, I think, again, it goes back to that, that defense and how solid that they are. Uh, and Buffalo, they will be there. I think that defense is good. They've got the talent on offense. And now it's just a matter of just kind of saying, okay, We've been there. We didn't, you know, nothing blew up. We, we can keep going. And that's going to be an interesting one. And then fast forward on to Super Bowl Sunday. Despite my comments about Tampa, I felt a lot more confident about Tampa going into that game based on, one, uh, the injuries that uh, the, the uh, on the offensive line for uh, Kansas City, I thought was going to play a lot of havoc against a very, very good playing defense of Tampa that we've already alluded to. And then secondly, I thought from just from a mind standpoint that everything going on uh, with the uh, coaching debacle on the Kansas City side was going to play uh, – was just not going to allow for a lot of focus on the defense that was so critical on Kansas City's side. And, uh, and of course, and despite everything, you know, again, and, and Tampa, you know, Brady was good. Brady was finally good in a playoff game, you know, in, in, in the Super Bowl. So uh, that, that at least saved uh, Tampa too. So there you go. You got anything to add to that, Brandon? Uh, you know, I think the, the what I would mention for the Super Bowl, which was nearly unwatchable in my opinion, I, in fact, stopped watching it in the second half and have no regrets about that. You know, Adam, you hit on the, the injuries, you know, and a bit of a perfect storm for Kansas City. I think they are – I think they were the superior team and are the superior team. You know, they were missing two starting linemen, three altogether on the offensive line. They were missing two depth corners. And we're obviously, you know, some of the pass interference calls I think were questionable, but we're still getting eaten alive by a very talented group of 
of pass catchers in Tampa. Um, you know, I think the one thing that, you know, the injuries and, and the slow start didn't allow Casey to get up early, which is really what they needed to do against Tampa, which is to kind of get Tampa being a little bit more desperate, make Brady make the throws versus just kind of manage the game. And he made a lot of good throws at the point, but, you know, you saw in the game they played in late November, you know, KC kind of blew the, the doors off of Tampa in November uh, because they got up early. They had some deep passes, and Mahomes just never had time to do anything. Uh, and so feel for him. And, you know, I think if Tampa's got a little bit more help, or excuse me, if Casey's got more help on the offensive line, it's a very different game. But overall, just disappointed with the quality. Um, I really enjoyed some of the other playoff games. Adam mentioned the Bills-KC uh, game, which was enjoyable. Um, but, yeah, just another dud, you know, kind of reminiscent of the Giants-Ravens Super Bowl from about 20 years ago. San Francisco-Baltimore from, uh, you know, eight, nine years ago. Kind of one of those, uh, which is which is too bad. So, kind of a dud. Yep, for sure. Well, you know, it's the the capstone of the 2020 season, <clears throat> and anything related to 2020, for the most part, is a dud. So, um, at best. So, we'll uh, perhaps leave it at that. Um, I do think it's worth noting, though, um, and I know I'm a little stuck on this, but... Um, so going into any game, but certainly going into playoff games, the NFL you know, sits down with the officiating staff, and they sit down and they look at game film just like the teams and so on and so forth. The Chiefs were one of the most penalized secondaries going into the Super Bowl from the 2020 season. And then you have Tom Brady on the other side, who is Tom Brady. And, and rightfully carries a lot of respect on the football field because he's won a crazy amount. And I just always wonder how much that plays into the referee's mindset. And I'm not saying it's intentional, um, but I just wonder if they if they had a little bit of an extra eye on what the KC secondary was doing uh, because some of those calls, they, they, to me, were incidental contact. Um, and yes, if you're looking right at it and you're looking for it, maybe you call it because an, uh, a hand went around or whatever, which are, you know, because they have general guidelines for what's pass interference, what's holding, what have you. And it, some of it's dependent on the positioning of the hands and things of that nature. And it just makes you wonder how much they, they go out there looking for specific things and that's one of those things and yes officiating is always going to be a problem in every sport because no one's ever going to like it but football and the inconsistency in calling those type of penalties we've been talking about for a very long time and i just wonder if there's a way to fix that I think if you were to look at, uh, I, I think NFL officiating is not much different than uh, the ump uh, behind the play calm balls and strikes where, you know, you have some that just have a white strike zone and they're ready to go to dinner as quickly as possible. Uh, I think with, uh, and, 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 you know, with the NFL refereeing, what you have there, uh, you, you probably have, P, uh, um, if you look at the records, most of them are pretty consistent across the board, whether they're overly sensitive, under, under sensitive toward, you know, holding and, and, and pass interference. 
Uh, and the other thing to consider too is that they, uh, you know, th those refereeing um, uh, crews are usually pit, I think almost at the beginning of the playoffs, if not by the end of the season, you know, th th those crews. So, so the NFL most likely knows the, the, you know, the crew based on their, their history about what to expect in the Super Bowl, regardless of who's there. But to your point, I, I, are, are, are there, you know, crews that are literally overly sensitive? Yes, and and I mean, there's been articles specifically about you know refereeing crews about how they call games against you know the Lions versus the Packers versus other teams in the NFL, and the, <laughs> again the the, the outputs are unbelievably consistent in terms of all these different nuances. Uh, and and but to your point, is, is there a possibility? Absolutely, there, there's you know I think for the NFL to to be able to say hey Bruce Arians you know won a Super Bowl and Tom Brady won one and and so forth, um, you know I I don't think that they 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 back off from that that you know wanting that sort of narrative whether we believe it or not. So, so putting the Super Bowl in the rearview mirror, um, big news obviously in Lions Land. It's it's a big trade in the NFL obviously. Matt Stafford uh, traded to the Rams, Lions getting Jared Goff, uh, two first-round picks and a third-round pick. Um, I mean, I guess I feel happy for Matt Stafford, by the way, um, personally. But but beyond that, um, good trade for the Lions? I think so, yeah. I think it's hard to come, out, come away with that with any other feeling. I mean, um, you know, a lot of people – kind of bash the Rams for the deal. And I think that's fair on paper, but if the Rams won the Super Bowl, it wasn't worth it. Yeah. So, and you know, so I, I always, I want to give the Rams the benefit of the doubt there that if they do manage to win a Super Bowl in the next few years, then the deal was worth it. If they don't, then obviously it was not a good deal for them. For the Lions, great. You know, um, <clears throat> this is a very quarterback deep draft. So I thought that was a little bit interesting uh, acquiring golf. Uh, when you're going into a fairly deep draft from a quarterback standpoint, maybe not top tier, but deep. I expect there'll be five quarterbacks taken in the first round uh, in this year's draft. And so interesting. Inter I was, it was curious to me that they, they picked him up. But I mean, stacking up those first round picks, you gotta, gotta take that as a win. So, um, you know, good, good start by Holmes. Yeah, when you think about the trade, I mean, you trade away a 33-year-old quarterback that had not played, uh, had not been able to complete any of the last five seasons, two of them ending in what some consider a potential career-ending uh, uh, injuries, um, and you were able to trade for a 26-year-old quarterback who, you know what, his performance is going to be based upon who you put around him. You know, when he when he had Todd Gurley playing at, at the height of Todd Gurley's career, golf was really good. Uh, and uh, when he didn't have Todd Gurley there, he didn't play as well, period. So, um, and, and, and then, oh, by the way, in the meantime, uh, you get two first-round draft picks and you get a third-round draft pick th this year. I can't argue anything against what the Lions did. And I think it was wonderful that they were able to do what they did, plus consider that what they were able to do in an offseason that looked like it could have a lot of quarterback available. They went out there, they got the job done, they get, went out and then got what they needed and got back home. And I, and I think lastly, too, is that if you think about it, 
Uh, I think that the, what happened too is, you know, they were offered some high draft picks this year and they said, no, I, we're, we're not, we're not interested. Uh, and we want to go ahead and have draft picks in years that we can get our scouts out there. There'll be a combine. Um, I would disagree uh, a, a little bit with uh, um, Brandon on the quarterback situation. I think what they basically said in getting golf, who in my mind is, you know, when he's playing really well and you put the right people behind him, he's a top 12 quarterback in the league. When he's in, when you don't put the talent and they're going to have to work to get to that point, you know, he's probably, you know, 16, 17, 18 in, in, in the league. So, uh, but, I really do believe that uh, I think the giving of golf kind of speaks to me and, and there's some people around the league already agree that they're not, the Lions are not impressed by what's available from a quarterback standpoint, probably past Trevor Lawrence. And there's right, it's right to think that when you are looking at, uh, um, you know, whether it be a Mac Jones who played as good as Tua did and Tua is not translated very well to the NFL to, you know, Justin Fields, who, you know, is, is in a long line of not so good, uh, you know, Ohio State quarterbacks who went to the NFL haven't performed correctly. Um, and then Trey Lance, who I think is just a complete, just you're, you're rolling the dice with him. You have no idea what you're getting with. Uh, and I think from an NFL or, or, you know, from a quarterback standpoint, uh, especially with Anthony Lynn coming in as your, um, you know, your, your offensive coordinator, I, you know, and let's not understate it. You know, the Lions went out and, and you might've been, un, you know, underwhelmed by Dan Campbell, but they've absolutely hit great home runs with Aaron Glenn and Anthony Lynn as their coordinators. And uh, I, for myself, I'm now very curious too, with the addition of John Dorsey, who is as good as anyone picking quarterbacks, uh, you know, uh, and, and adding him to as an experienced right-hand man. Um, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing what happens. Oh, you don't like this, Brandon? I mean, you know, he it was disastrous as a general manager. Oh, no, and I, I and you he's know, one for two on those quarterbacks. Uh, I guess hit me in a couple of years on Baker Mayfield. Uh, but yes, Patrick Mahomes is, is with Andy Reid is very good. True. Let's talk about uh, Anthony Lynn real quick. Um, one of the things we talked about on the last show was that um, the Lions really needed to put some experienced guys at the coordinator positions with a guy like Dan Campbell, who just doesn't have a ton of coaching experience. Anthony Lynn certainly fits that bill. Um, and, and it seems like, well, it, at a very high level, and kind of going back to the Stafford point a little bit, at a very high level, the Lions are operating like a normal organization, which is, is for the Lions, really remarkable. Um, because the Stafford trade was a good trade. Um, it was announced that Stafford was leaving, which is usually not a strong – it does not put you in a strong bargaining position. Now, granted, Stafford is a very talented individual, so on and so forth. But – they went out and did a really nice job on that trade. And now they're going out and they've put some good football people in place. Now it's the Lions, so I have no reason to have hope. But um, what are you guys thinking about the coaching staff assembly? Right now, I can't complain, right? You, you go out, you get an Aaron Glenn, you get an Anthony Ling, you get uh, Juice Staley, you get uh, – um, you know, you, you have, 
uh, yeah, and some of them are kind of wild and uh, on the edge, like Mark Brunel being brought in as your uh, um, quarterback's coach. Though I did hear Mark Brunel do about a half of football on CBS uh, radio, uh, uh, one of the playoff games, and he was fantastic. He was absolutely, you, you could tell that he, he really, his understanding of the game and, and uh, what people have said about, you know, his uh, a lot of his time in the league being a backup quarterback, he was really good in terms of helping, you know, uh, you know the quarterbacks that he worked with. Um, it, it just seems like they've, they've brought on a lot of people that are, one, very enthusiastic. Uh, secondly, uh, obviously, a lot of experience in the league. Uh, and, uh, and and guys that, you know, and, I mean, of course, you're going to say you want to be here. But it sounds like, I mean, there was different, you know, uh, um, you know, lack of opportunity for a lot of these uh, coaches, and they ended up choosing the Lions organization. I guess Dan Campbell and uh, Brad Holmes. So uh, I, I think that that will go speak volumes, uh, and 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 hopefully, it, what I think it might translate into is uh, opposed to previous years is hopefully better um, uh, deals and and more opportunity within free agency and of course obviously player development and I think I, I'm very curious again what they're going to do from a player development standpoint with uh, Jeff Okuda uh, and and of course some of the uh, people on the defense so yeah I don't I don't think I could uh, disagree much with Adam you know I think the challenge that the Lions are going to have is weathering the storm of what I think is going to be a couple of very rocky years from a talent standpoint. Um, you know, this team is going to have some pretty significant deficiencies, um, you know, going into the next year for sure. And just, you know, really focusing on, on player development, I think will be critical and then making some decisions on some of these younger guys like Okuda, um, whether they can really, really make it or not and what they what the investment is going to be. But I think there's, the Lions are in some trouble from a talent standpoint. Um, going into next year. And so it'll be, a, it'll be tough for Campbell, but he's got a good staff. So. I thought it was also interesting uh, that Dom Capers is on the staff as a defensive assistant. I, I didn't know he was still like alive. Yes. <laughs> I'm sorry. I just, I thought it was interesting. Um, he's bounced from team to team over the last X number of years. I mean, he was with what green Bay for ever and then I just thought it was interesting. And and one last thing from the Lions' perspective last week, and of course it got announced that Calvin Johnson is a uh, um, Hall of Famer, so he'll be inducted yeah. into a a pretty illustrious class of Hall of Famers this year, which is, of course, uh, completely the opposite of baseball this uh, this year. Um, but but in general, I thought that uh, um, and, and one of the results of that is a lot of discussions that uh, – you know, um, of course, uh, there was a, a bit of a proverbial divorce, if you will, between uh, the Calvin Johnson and the Lang organization. But it appears, appears that Sheila uh, Ford Hemp is uh, doing her part to try to uh, get that, uh, um, you know, remedied and, and fixed. And hopefully uh, they'll have uh, Calvin Johnson uh, more, more into the mix and, uh, you know, use him as a, way more of an asset than they should, uh, that they have the last couple of years. So. And, and I don't want to belabor this particular point, but I do think that's something that's been missing from the Lions organization on a whole for the last, our lifetime. Like, they've alienated so many great former players. Yep. Uh, Barry Sanders being a great example, Calvin Johnson. And anything they can do to help um, 
And it's like the, the bringing Chris Spielman in to be an advisor type human. Anything they can do to build a little bit of, I don't know, historical, I don't even know what the right word is. Um, goodwill. Goodwill. Yeah, goodwill. Sure. Yeah, that's it. I think is good for the organization. So. All right, switching gears now into the world of basketball, and specifically college basketball. Uh, Oakland University, the Golden Grizzlies have definitely had a uh, up-and-down season since we've talked. Um, three uh, pretty tough losses uh, most recently. And um, what are you seeing there? Brandon, I'll tell you, I mean, this yeah. team is Jalen Moore. I mean, I, I'll, I'm going to let you uh, get, jump right into it, but my biggest takeaway, it looks and dies by the Jalen Moore performance. So. Yeah, and he, of course, really struggled yesterday, um, really struggled, two for 17 from the field. Um, but I want to say bigger picture, and this is just – it's frustrating. Just This team is just terrible in the fourth quarter. Like, just they just throw games away. You know, they had – Robert Morris fairly well contained with, you know, five, six minutes left. And then they just got chipped away at, chipped away at, and they just could not close. And so what I, what I, I'll say what I said a few weeks ago, they can beat anyone in the league. They can lose to anyone in the league. So we'll see what they do in the tournament. They have a very bright future from a roster standpoint, assuming that, you know, the, the transfer portal is not their, their enemy as it has often been. You know, next year they've got, you know, if they, if they keep everyone and they, and they can, I believe, keep everyone in the rotation back. They should be one of the top two teams in the conference. Jalen Moore is, you know, is a top 15 point guard in the country. He's unbelievable. Trey Townsend is a great freshman. Micah Parrish is, is a great contributor. Rashad Williams, when he's down in the 2-3 scoring option, is, is formidable. Zion Young, you know, formidable. So they've got everything they need. It's just bizarre. The defenses can be soft. They struggle to rebound. Oladapo is a good player. It just Something is not clicking, and it doesn't make any sense. But I, I think Adam, t- t- at least to the game last night, you know, Adam hit on why they lost, which is that Jalen Moore went two for seventeen. So, it, well, and I think the other thing when you look at <laughs> when when you're looking at the the, the box scores and, and and what you you know what you're able to see is that the the biggest problem to me is that they're not getting any. This is a five man rotation. That 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 that's all this. It's a five man and to your point. Uh, well, I mean, if you go back, you look. Yeah, you know, but again, and you, you, Zion Young have a like a two game, two game streak where it would be impactful at least from a, uh, uh, uh you know, from a box uh, score standpoint. You know, uh, Lampman, you're you're not getting, uh, you know, no, 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 Conga, you know, no, no, and I mean, some of these games they barely get any minutes or they're barely even touching the ball. Uh, and and I guess you know, to me is that. In college basketball, especially in a season where you're playing back-to-backs and, and, you know, that sort of nature, you've got to be able to have way more than five players in your rotation. Well, and that's a great point. I mean, uh, the Robert Morris game, I mean, was a two-overtime game. The bench played 28 total minutes in a two-OT game. I mean, yeah, holy yeah. cow. Yeah. I mean, that's that's crazy. They took five shots, the bench did. I mean – it's it's that that's a level of crazy that you don't normally see. I mean, it's not that uncommon to see six and seven man rotations, but my goodness, 
I mean, that's five guys. And particularly, I mean, Jalen Moore's great. So if he's having a bad game, it is what it is. But like Rashad Williams, we've talked about him in the past. I mean, he was six for 17 from three-point land, seven for 23 overall. The team shot 37, 38%, whatever. I mean, you got to have – if somebody's not firing on all cylinders, you got to have somebody who can come off the bench, hit a few shots, and get back out there. Yeah, it's, it's frustrating because, you know, Robert Morris's bench had, you know, something like 31 points last night. Robert Morris's bench. <laughs> and so, you yeah. know, again, if, if Oakland is going up against Cleveland State, against Wright State, you know, these are some deep teams. These are some, you know, 13-seed caliber teams. Okay. And their bench, you know, beat you to the punch. I get it. Robert Morris, you know, they've only played like 14 games this year, and they're terrible. And their best player just left the team. He just walked off. And you get outscored 31 to 5 by the bench of Robert Morris. I mean, I just don't, I don't know what to say. You know, you get a guy, you have a 2020 game in college basketball from Oladapo last night. Like, you know, you know how rare that is in college basketball, even in a double overtime game? I mean, this team can't close. And it's, I, I, you know, I love the talent on the team, but they're just, I, I hate watching them sometimes because. It's 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 just endlessly frustrating. And again, you know, if they're if they're duking it out with the heavies of the conference, and their bench isn't there, well, fair enough. But Robert Morris, where is Robert Morris, by the way? Who is Robert Morris? <laughs> I know. Is, it a pers- <laughs> is it a person? Is it a school? It was Jack's brother. <laughs> Jack's grandfather. <laughs> it's, in, it's in Pennsylvania, Carol Polic Caropolis, Pennsylvania. Oh, wow. We're like a hotbed and probably a hot Wow. Oof, boy, wow, the fact check department, department didn't right. even have to look that up. Yeah. I, 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 Friday I, night there in Carol Paco. Yeah, that's right. It was a booming, <laughs> booming atmosphere last night. So, at the barn or wherever they played. <laughs> Goober was the referee at the barn last night. Uncle Goober. Gene Ackman out there <laughs> introducing him with the basket. Okay, we've lost it, Sherry. That's okay. But let's let's talk a little bit more about our frustrations with this team and 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 wind it back to Cleveland State. Okay, so Cleveland State, as you said, Brandon, is a good team. They're fourteen and five, fourteen and two in the conference. And they, you know, Oakland lost by two at home, two points, and then I think eight points the other game. So clearly, like you said, they can win against anybody. They can lose against anybody. And they played, they played good basketball. And it's like, what? It 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 doesn't it doesn't make any sense. Yeah, and and they were coming off of two games against uh, whatever that acronym is these days, PFW. I don't even know what the heck they're called. Um, <laughs> but where they looked like they looked like the team they used to be when they had Keto Benson, when they had, uh, you know, Marquez Walker, when they had Kay Felder, and they just cruised the whole game. Their offense was clearly better. They were generating turnovers, and they just cruised in both. One was closer than the other. They looked like the team they have been for the majority of the 2010 decade. And then, to, you know, and then they played Cleveland State close, one of the games they should have won, the second one, you know, a good split against the top team in the conference. Great, but then they come out against Robert Morris and just look lost. And I just – I'm just – Desperate for the tournament to come so that the season can end. And they're either going to get to the championship game or they're going to get knocked out by, you know, the corpse of Youngstown State or whatever. Like, I just – they're going to lose by 40 to Youngstown State or whatever. I just, for the love of God, make it end. 
<laughs> they're probably going to go out and win by 35 tonight because they're so vastly better than Robert Morris from a talent standpoint that, like, Robert Morris, if they put stack two guys on top of each other, they wouldn't have someone <laughs> that was top 20 at their position in the country. Jalen Moore is a top 20 point guard right now in college basketball. He covered top 15 to top 20. All of a sudden, three minutes in this conversation. Well, because it was two for 17. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Just, you know, again, I, I just keep on looking at these box scores. And I mean, like in the one Cleveland State game, we got Jai Young. He did play 33 minutes, 18, and, and got nine, you know, made four out of nine from three point land. And, and it just, I'll tell you, if you just keep on playing the same five guys every night, you're just going to, you're, you're going to go nuts. You're not going to, you know, proceed. Well, and that—that's the last thing I wanted to bring up. It, like that particular game you're talking about, Adam Rashad Williams only played like 12 minutes because he wasn't playing well. So can't be through Zion Young in who played well. You know, I mean, again, it just gets back to that point of you gotta have more. And and the one thing you do worry about Robert Morris in the game tonight is you just played all of your players two games worth of minutes almost. Um, what are they going to bring to the court tonight? I yeah, mean, they're young, is, so yeah. I this mean, is where Campy's got to. He's just got to let the young. Uh, the I don't want to even say the younger guys because they're not necessarily younger. He's got to let the reserves play tonight because he's not playing for anything. You know, any chance that they had of sneaking into a bye was gone when they got swept by Cleveland State, and they needed to take both those games. And so you're not really playing for anything other than are you going to play? You know. Youngstown, are you going to play, you know, uh, Green Bay? Like, you know, there really isn't a whole lot on the line there. So they need to let some of these guys play, but Campy has absolutely no patience for some of these guys. Tangu is someone that is capable of playing college basketball minutes. He played a lot last year. Yeah. And, and so did Lampman. And the, the least that these guys have is non-existent. And it's... I know they both are flawed, but they're just non-existent. And then there's no big help at all for Oladapa. Yeah. That that is actually that's a good point, Brandon, because I don't understand why Lantman plays one to two to three minutes a game. That's been puzzling me all season. And again, like you said, he's by no means a guy who should be playing huge minutes, but good shooter, energetic guy. You're saying he can't give ten, twelve minutes a game to help when your outside shooting is terrible. Like I, that confuses me. Now, granted, we don't see what goes on behind the scenes, so on and so forth, but it, it does confuse me. Kangu, like you said, played a lot of minutes last year. Uh, he at least is getting some minutes. But why did Zion Young play 33 minutes one game and then eight the next? I mean, that really confuses me. Um, and, and, and Zion Young is not a freshman. Zion Young is a junior. Zion Young averaged double digits for another college basketball team last year. Right. Why would you, why would you restrict his minutes like that? Like, you know, and I, I'll tell you that the thing that we'll get more into on the next show is that just the the shuddering of wondering what the transfer portal will do to this team, especially if you've got guys that are on the team that maybe are a little on the frustrated side in terms of their playing minutes and stuff like that. So um, that's something that that in future shows we'll obviously be watching. Yeah. For sure. So, yep, 5 o'clock tonight against the Robert Morris Colonials. I did not know they were called the Colonials, Colonials. until very nice. recently. Anyway. Maybe another, oh. another one of their best players will walk off the court. 
gonna buy you for your birthday a Robert Morris sweatshirt or a hat for you, Brandon. I want you to wear it proudly too. I'm gonna go online right now. <laughs> probably not even. They don't probably don't even have memorabilia. Yeah, you have to go to the town store. Chicken <laughs> <They can> wheat, <laughs> corn mill. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> They don't even have a logo. Their logo is just letters. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it is a true story. <laughs> it, it's, it's just RMU. <laughs> Literally is their logo. And by the way, they lost one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine consecutive games coming into last night. For those of you without <laughs> video feed, Brandon just removed his headphones and is gesticulating wildly. So, uh, my understanding, though, is that the Amish do a really nice job uh, with I the welcoming the committee. Yeah. Love the Amish. So. Okay. I think I'm going to bet everything on RMU tonight. <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm, gonna take RM, I'm gonna take RMU giving like fifteen. <laughs> That'll make up for all my Super Bowl losses. Oh, fair, fair enough. <laughs> yeah, it was ugly. All my all my winning. I, I'm not totally gone where I started, but uh, I took a dent out of a very healthy bankroll I had on MGM Grand. <sighs> Remember what we talked about in terms of investing? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, getting away from Oakland, um, Adam, I really enjoyed your uh, pre-show uh, pre notes. College basketball, U of M, no game since last show. MSU, almost might not as well have been playing games. <laughs> yeah, I... I did it kind of, boy, it was a long day yesterday. And by the time I got together on the show, no, I left to let be, be desired, including not including the Super Bowl, which part of that just might have been the not wanting to talk anything Tony Romo oriented. But uh, anyway, um, you know, and when you're thinking about it, I, I think, you know, again, we did the last show and then all of a sudden all this news broke within 12 hours of us recording the show between Max Stafford and the Lion Canunkin that they were going to, you know, part ways. And then, of course, U of M basketball was going to be shut down for a minimum of two weeks based on, I guess, the the uh, um, evidence that the you know new strain of the COVID-19 virus was on the campus. Uh, and at that point, they decided to... Um, you know, you know, do a two-week uh, self uh, um, self-chosen ban of playing games, I guess, for two weeks. Uh, and of course, uh, as a result, they were supposed to start back up this uh, past Thursday, and they went ahead and they chose to cancel that game because I think at the beginning there was nothing on the basketball team or like one person in the athletic program, and then it did. It appeared that uh, I think the basketball team did end up getting uh, um, you know testing positive for the virus. Uh, so as a result, uh, you know they you know and of course the biggest peak you know biggest peak of disappointment really is that this team was playing so good going into that, you know, the, this self-imposed, uh, um, you know, stopping the playing games. And uh, now you got to wonder, when are they going to get back into it? And are, are they going to be able to pick up where they left off? Uh, and, um, you know, and again, don't get me wrong. I think the health of the university, the health of the players uh, needs to rank well above any of this, but, but you, you can't ignore 
that they were one of the best playing teams in the country at that point. And uh, as Brandon pointed out on the last show, I mean, this is a, a program that's going to be reckoned, you're going to have to reckon with here in the next several years based on the recruiting classes, the ability of Jawan Howard to be able to recruit, and hopefully they're able to get back up and going and, and play in this self-contained uh, tournament uh, coming up uh, uh, both for the Big Ten as well as the NCAAs, if in fact they're able to go forward. So, Yeah, I mean, they'll have a real tough game tomorrow night, uh, or excuse me, tomorrow afternoon, uh, Wisconsin at Wisconsin. And Wisconsin will be pretty irritated after they got absolutely blown out by Michigan um, shortly before, on national TV, shortly before, you know, yeah. going on that break. So that'll be a, a rough uh, a rough start back for them. But, you know, I think in some ways it's actually good. You know, if they lose to Wisconsin at Wisconsin coming off a break, then, you know, that's not going to hurt them all that much in the overall bracketology. And if they manage to win, then they're going to be, you know, continuing to climb up the, the, the pole. So, you know, I think they're going to be fine. They have one of the deepest teams in the country. You're, they're a team that can go eight guys, speaking of rotations, they can go eight guys pretty, pretty easily. Uh, and, you know, they've got a couple of NBA caliber guys on the team. So I think they're going to be fine. And uh, I'm excited to watch them this March. So speaking of a team that has a couple NBA caliber guys, the Pistons have really <laughs> not, uh, they, they've not impressed so far this, this season. Um, they did win their last game. So there's that, um, but the wins are few and far between. Um, but we, we kind of figured this was going to be kind of an upheaving season with all the roster turnover. And um, are, are you guys happy that Derrick Rose is finally gone? Um, <laughs> I have to ask. Hey, you got to give credit to that front office. This, you know, that they found anyone that would give up anything for him, right? I mean, I, you know, a, a guy that actually reportedly, if you believe everything you hear, you know, he was, you know, the Knicks had offered a first round draft pick for Derrick Rose last year, and, and you know, the the Pistons did not take it, which is completely incredible as you think about it. And I mean, when you look at the way Derrick Rose to played the first couple games of the season, I mean, it appeared that age really crept out very quickly on. Derrick Rose, so the, the fact that they were able to get any sort of NBA caliber player in return with the second round draft pick and, and a second round draft pick from the Knicks is a pretty good thing. Um, you know, the, the, at, at minimum, it should be some sort of trading piece, especially with all the second round draft picks that they traded away, uh, you know, in, in the last season. Um, you know, great for them. I mean, and, and the only other miracle they could, could potentially do is be able to trade the player formerly known as Blake Griffin, but I don't know if they'll be able to do that based on his contract. I mean, that would be quite the miracle to be able to do that. But, um, and, and, and saying that though, Brandon, I mean, I, I have to tell you, I mean, I've watched almost every game except uh, the, the, uh, um, a couple of the West coast games based on, you know, my bed schedule above anything else. Um, and I, I look at this team and that, you know, there, there's someone who's playing interesting basketball every night, even, you know, we just talked about Tom Capers, you know, coming back, and I, I barely knew the man was alive, let alone coaching. And I barely knew that Wayne Ellington even had, you know, was able to get out on the court and, and, and do anything. And Talon Wright, I had no idea who that guy was up until, you know, and here's he, I mean, he's playing at an incredible level. And, and, and I, from my standpoint, Justin and Brandon, I really, I'm actually, despite the losses, enjoying watching this team try to, you know, 
try every night. And there is an excitement level to this team that I haven't seen in the past three seasons. So Yeah, no, I think your analysis is really strong. Um, you know, obviously Jeremy Grant has been very, very good. Um, I don't know if that will keep up, but he deserves all the kudos for being very, very, very good. Um, you know, the Derrick Rose thing, you know, the, the deal is good. You know, Dennis Smith, much like Josh Jackson, is another reclamation project. You know, if they get either one right, then that's a thumbs up. And it's kind of the way that Eisman's trying to pull things together uh, across the street, or rather in the same building. Uh, <laughs> yeah, same, same building now. Um, so, uh, you know, kind of a similar approach there. Um, but, you know, the things to, to be happy about, you know, Sadiq Bay had another big game last night. He's in, been in double digits, like, in four of the last five games. Certainly happy to see that. Um, you know, uh, Isaiah Stewart has looked good with some of his minutes. Obviously, Killian Hayes, that's been disappointing with the injury. Um, you know, I would assume that if you were to ask Weaver, you know, what his thoughts are on, on what he what he thought he was getting and what he you know, where he's at, he would probably tell you that things are going exactly as I want them to. Um, I was able to replace one of those second-round draft picks. I was able to add another young reclamation project in the place of a clearly, you know, degraded Derrick Rose. and. And that's just really what that burns is what they missed out on last year. Derrick Rose had his final flourish last year. Of, uh, he used to be an NBA caliber guy. He was a great player before his injury. Not, and he, he showed that flash. And they didn't make the move. And it, it, it has cost them potentially a first-round pick or something even better. And that's just the stupidity of some of the members of the, of the influence of the sphere of influence there around Tom Gores. So, um, all in all, I think the Pistons are where we thought they'd be. They get another top five pick, then you know this team's got legs, and if they can uh, get rid of or give Blake Griffin legs, um, either they need to get rid of him or transplant legs to him, they'll be in good shape. So, yep. And and again with the upheaval of the roster, it's going to be a little bit before it really settles down. And Two to three years. Yeah, yeah, yeah no yep. question about that. Um, but I did want to say Jeremy Grant um, has been better than advertised. Um, and uh, very interesting. So, again, we'll see how it goes over a full season. But Well, and especially when you consider, I mean, I think he's making $25 million or $20 million a year. And, I mean, that, that, that's like a bargain in the NBA. That's an absolute bargain <laughs> if, if he continues playing at this uh, pace. And, I mean, uh, you know, and I, I think, and, and going back to your, you know, your statement, uh, Brandon, uh, you know, Stewart has been just – Wow, I mean, he he has really been worth every bit of that draft pick that they uh, uh, used on him. So, uh, I, I definitely a lot of interesting pieces that they've they've got on this team. And I, you know, and to to your point, I, I really am looking forward to seeing how this all shakes out. So, so heading. Oh, go ahead, go go. No, I would say that they're getting their money's worth for Jeremy Grant. I would not say that he is a steal at nineteen a year. Okay. So headed across the street to the same building, the Red Wings. Um, yeah, I'm trying to do the math right now. Yeah. yeah. Um, Red Wings have also been putting a lot, a uh, lot of L's up. Um, and, you know, and we've talked a bit about, um, you know, obviously COVID's impact, like on the Wolverines. I mean, the Wings had five or six guys. Um, out of the lineup for several games and so you take a team a young team without much depth and then you take uh 
you know, a third of their regular roster plus a couple other injuries in. There was no hope. Uh, and they had a string of games where they were just killed during that time. And it is what it is. And now that they've got their lineup, since they've gotten their lineup back together, they're two and two. So it's not as awful. Um, but boy, do they still have a long way to go. But in, in Iserman, I trust. Uh, I think he's made good moves. Um, so any observations from Red Wing Land? Only that there's been increasing chatter about Blaschel's job security, which is interesting because this has been a point of much speculation for us. I was convinced that Eisenman was going to remove him after last season, and he did not, and stood behind him. Um, And then, you know, I don't really put a lot of the blame on Blaschel for what's happened so far this year based on those injuries, but there really is increased chatter uh, online that, you know, his days are numbered. I'm just curious. It is, and it's unfortunate um, because this season has not been his fault. Um, no, not this year. Uh, and, but I think it's just a, a simple, simply it's a culmination of all the years. And Eisman didn't want to make a move in the middle of COVID, I think. And with so much up in the air, why even try to do something different? Obviously, just speculation on my part, but that, that's what I took away from it. And I think now, I think Blashill finishes the season unless they really, really tank worse. But um, I do think he's done after, certainly after this season. Yeah. It, it, and to your guys' point, I mean, I know there was talk uh, the other night about the healthy scratch of Anthony Mantha and, and, and a message, you know, them mm-hmm. attempting to, to send with him. And I mean, when you look at him, I mean, he's a, a, a minus eight for the season, which is by far the worst of anyone by a long shot, uh, you know, on, on this team. Um, you know, they were without, you know, to your guys' point, they were uh, without doing Larkin for a little bit. They were without Hudina uh, uh, for a little bit. And, and Bertuzzi, so I mean, you're really talking about a bunch of guys that uh, um, you know you, you, you're <laughs> you're very much depend upon when you're looking at this, you know, with this organization. Yeah. Uh, I, I and 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 I I think you know to to be really honest with you, when you're looking at this young team and and you're looking at. Uh, a little bit of progress is being made and, and I so much of it guys and I, I commented on this little, uh, on the last show and I've, I've really tried to watch the wings a fair amount this year it, it is absolutely amazing the lack of speed on the, the you know their front line that they ha- uh, they have or don't have I guess is a better way of putting it uh, and and I I don't know I mean there's games that they have been they've looked you know they're, like they've skated really well but I don't know what you do if you're a blasher and you 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 can only teach a you know your players to, to skate uh, as fast as they can uh, and it's up to them to really do it and uh, I don't know what the what appears to me at least from this untrained hockey eye uh, is a team that just it absolutely lacks talent, and I mean, you'd have to really invite a coach in to basically say, "Hey, this team doesn't it does lack talent, and you're not going to get a whole lot out of it because we don't have the, the, they can barely skate in offensively. They're just so weak. I, I don't know." Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, Robbie Fabry was out. He's missed more than half the season. Um, you know, he was a guy who who did gave them a nice little jolt when he was picked up last year offensively. Um. Yeah, it's ugly. It's pretty uh, yeah. ugly. 
I'll tell you though, the in my mind, the Lucas Raymond pick makes more and more sense to me based on what Adam's describing. You got another speedy wing, you know. Clearly, Eiserman is understanding some of the deficiencies on the on the forward group. Yeah, this is another undersized wing. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, again, you know, with the wings, it's it's kind of the same as the Pistons. It's it's going to be a matter of sitting and just watching and seeing what happens because they're also at least a year, two years, three years away from anything. Yeah. Uh, uh, but, and, and I think you know, the, the, the yeah. biggest challenge with the, I, I think with the wings, and this is where I think, you know, with, uh, I, I can see at least with the players that get added to the, the, to the um, Pistons uh, that, that ever strong influence of a Dwayne Casey, who just seems to be able to get the most out of his players. Yeah. And I think if, if you were able to, I, now, again, I don't think that, that Blashell has as much to work with from a talent standpoint as the, the Pistons, which is quite the statement if you think about it. Brandon, I think you're kind of comparing apples to steaks a little bit, but um, but 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 I think, and that's where I think that's where Dwayne Casey has just done a, an unbelievable job of of squeezing everything that he can out of them. Yeah, so that's a fair point. Um, yeah. Is coaching does make a difference. There's no doubt about that in these environments. Yeah, sure. Dwayne, coach, Dwayne Casey's a uh, mid upper tier coach in, in the NBA. Right. And Absolutely. Definitely not that in the NBA. No. No. Yep. So um, I guess moving on to sort of now kitty corner across the street over the freeway <laughs> and uh, over to Comerica Park. Um, we've got spring training coming up. Uh, the Tigers have made a flurry of mostly minor league moves, but a couple interesting signings since we were last on the air. Um, Wilson Ramos, um, which I was pretty excited about. Um, he's, you know, again, he's definitely on the back end of his career, uh, but having that veteran guy behind the plate, uh, having a guy who can at least hit the ball behind the plate um, is, is a pretty good thing. Uh, really excited to see Jonathan Scope come back. Um, I don't remember if I mentioned it on the last show or not, but that was the one thing I thought if among all the things the Tigers need to do to improve was bringing in a veteran infielder for this season, um, which is huge um, and also allows either Goodrum or Castro to bounce around the field a little bit more. And then yesterday, uh, they concluded the deal with Nomar Masara, um, 1.75. I think it's a really terrific move given the price tag. Uh, if he completely flames out, meh, I don't care. Uh, I mean, Tiger's salary position now is way better than it's been in a long, long time. Uh, the only stuff they're carrying is Cabrera's huge salary, and this is, I believe, the last year of um, Prince Fielder um, still being on the roster or on the payroll. <laughs> Other than that, they really don't have much in the way of committed salaries, Grossman, who they signed earlier in the season, and some one-year deals. I mean, they are super healthy payroll-wise. And so you go out and you get a 25-year-old guy who's had some good uh, major league seasons. He's at least 26 in a month. Hmm? He turns 26 in the, like April. Oh, does he? Okay. Um, he's, he's young, but yeah. So, 90, oh, he does. Okay. So, still, younger guy. 
I, I don't believe in writing off baseball players until about 28, 29, um, generally speaking. I mean, again, if, if you've made it to the majors um, and you've had some decent seasons, he's, he's definitely worth – he's a reclamation project too. I, I think I would, I would go right into that uh, territory. And so it'll be very interesting to see what comes out of this, but it's, um, I think, pretty exciting. I think the pitching's a little scary because uh, it would have been nice if they had gotten one other veteran arm in uh, to give some of these kids a little bit more time in the minors. But um, I, I think it's going to be super interesting. And like I said, the Tigers did go out and sign a bunch of interesting um, minor league signings, a, some major leaguers to minor league contracts, um, which I thought was very interesting. And that's one of those areas of whatever you want to say about uh, Alavila. Um, he's been pretty good at finding those type of guys and turning them into something at least serviceable. And, and perhaps most notably is uh, Nunez uh, from Baltimore, who was the starting first baseman there the last couple of years and granted Baltimore, not a great uh, team, um, but a very interesting low risk pickup. So it'll be, it'll be interesting to see what happens with that. Yeah. A couple questions for you. Cause I, I, you know, I can't disagree on the, uh, for the, the amount of money. I mean, you know, if he has a good season, we'll never see him again. If he doesn't, Correct. you know, Fair enough. It was $1.75 million. I think the thing that concerns me a little bit, and I'd be curious as to your take, is that between him and Grossman, wow, is that an indictment on the position players in our in our system? They clearly don't think that some of these younger guys can play at the major league level. You know, one or the other, okay. Um, but, you know, I really thought with Grossman, who I wasn't particularly enamored with the signing, especially a two-year deal, I thought they were done. I thought they were, they were locked and loaded. And – to add another bat that you would expect, even for the small price tag, they'd want to give him a lot of bats, I would assume, because he's a, you know, he can hit the major leagues. They really don't have confidence in some of the other guys. And that's disappointing. Yeah, I, I think there's definitely truth to that. But I, I also think, well, yeah, Grossman was a clear indictment of Kristen Stewart um, and Travis DeMeritt, who has since been claimed off waivers. Um, clear, and Derek Hill is never going to make it as a starter in the majors and perhaps not even as a backup. Um, so yeah, uh, they're outfield, even though they got a lot of young guys. I mean, Victor Reyes, he's legit. I, I do think he's going to stick around and play for quite some time. Jacoby Jones can't stop getting hit by pitches. Um, you know, they had to go get an outfielder and signing Grossman to a two year deal was clearly an indictment of what the Tigers thought of their minor leaguers and then going out and taking a guy who had never played above high a in the rule five draft. Oh, wow. That's you're hundred percent right on that. I think on the Nunez side of it, I think it was a matter of the Tigers went out and got a bunch of guys who are, they've been either four a, or in this case, legitimate major league baseball players and they just decided we're going to stock up and see what happens. I don't think it's necessarily about uh, having concerns with their younger guys, although I do think they have some and they have reason to. Candelario has been on, off, on, off. Willie Castro, was, he was great, but 
a small sample size. Paredes isn't ready yet. Goodrum couldn't hit above the Mendoza line last year. Castro has not been able to stay healthy for a whole season. So you you know uh, Harold. So yeah. you 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 take all those things in totality. You don't know what you're getting out of Cabrera. Could be great. Could be terrible. You, you just don't know. Um, and so I think. And, and, and by the way, I, I think Cabrera is actually probably going to have a decent season. But um, you put all those things in the mix, and they have nothing behind it. And that's the key. A number of those guys, like I still believe Willie Castro is going to be a good, productive Major League Baseball player. He's going to struggle at times, particularly this season, as pitchers figure him out. Um, and that's fine. I, I think there's legitimate major league talent here. I think Paredes will be legitimate, uh, you know, and, and again, so there's a guy who's 21, you know, tw- maybe he'll be 22 soon. Like, you know, you, you gotta be pretty happy. For with, sure. Yeah. I think, him. I think more than anything, Justin, it's the, the, the Daz Cameron, Christian Stewart. Yep. It's just not trending the way that we would hope. That's, no, that's I, unfortunate. I had forgotten about Daz Cameron um, until just, just now and and yeah i i think it, it says the exact same thing that they just don't think he can turn that corner mm-hmm. on the flip side there is some room there i mean yeah. certainly stewart's in much more of the candelario spot where yeah. candelario found himself last year so 100 percent true um stewart has to perform this year or he's not going to make it you know, the thing with Candelaria versus Stewart, though, is, I mean, we, we always felt, at least I personally felt, and I know, you know, we've talked about him for years about having that absolutely fantastic guy uh, at the plate. And, and I mean, he had that pedigree, especially based on his play uh, in, in, in the Cub system. And it seemed like it was just a matter of him putting it together. And, and there were the pieces with the batting eye and stuff like that that, that were there. Stewart. On, on his side, I don't know if he has ever had that pedigree that Candelario has had. Uh, and and I, I, in terms of those signings, to me, is that for what they signed him for, to me, I think it's like going out and getting a competitive uh, backup quarterback. There, 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 there's a, a certain piece uh, of every franchise that you have to go out and you have to make those who are already there a little uncomfortable to say, guys, we really need you to step up this season and sending that message. And I wonder how much of these signings, whether it be the uh, the, the Rule 5 pick or, or, you know, a couple of these veterans like Roseman and whatnot, are more about getting those guys to the point that they're uh, saying, hey, in order to get there, you've got to really step up. Even in the Ramos one with, you know, uh, Rodgers, is that is that the message to Rodgers, that Rodgers, that this is not something we're handing to you. You're going to win this particular role. And I, how much of that is also an A.J. Hinch uh, um, uh, requirement that he wants competition on this team because otherwise he doesn't know if he can get the most out of his players. That's yeah. I, I think that's completely valid. Um, and and I will say to your point, and I think it's a good point, Adam. Candelario did have much more of a pedigree than Stewart. Um, so while they found themselves, well, while Stewart finds himself in a similar position to, as Candelario in the sense of it's it's now or never. Candelario, by all means, has always had more upside than Stewart. Um, and you know. 
best I think that could happen um, for for Kristen Stewart at this point is he'll flame out. He'll end up on a waiver wire. Somebody will pick him up, and he'll become kind of a Marcus Thames kind of guy. Um, that could happen, but I don't think you're getting anything more than that out of him, uh, and that that's his ceiling. Um, so, oh. and yeah, and I think. I do think AJ Hinch has um, a hand in some of what has been going on. Um, if I remember correctly, he has some history with Grossman. Um, I could be I could be mistaken. I could be thinking of somebody else, but um, yeah, I, I think it's all part of it. But I, I wouldn't I wouldn't underemphasize the lack of depth in the organization, and that is a really really big deal. Like. We, who's going to be playing in Toledo? <laughs> like, do we have bodies? It's it's not even a matter of good. It's do we have humans who can actually play there? And yeah, I'm being a little bit facetious, but but seriously, like th- th- there is not a lot when it comes to position players in the minor league system. And you'll see this when, when they um when they break camp or when they make camp is you know, there's only a handful of non-roster invitees who are native to the system. When you look at position players, it's because they're just not there. Right. So, and so I think part of it was just pure necessity. Um, we got to have some guys and Hey, we picked up some guys with some major league experience and maybe they'll compete for a spot. Who knows? So it'll be interesting. Um, I did want to touch on also uh, the rule changes that look like are coming into effect. Uh, I have not read anything on that yet. Um, I've just seen the headlines, but I guess they are agreeing, Adam, you say, to the um, seven-inning doubleheader and um, clown car extra inning yeah. setup. Yes. Yes, that's my understanding. Is I, I sound like they that it was a done deal if I'm not mistaken. So. <laughs> I, you know, I, I it, it could, you know, here we are. We're, we've got a podcast. We're talking sports, and I feel like we're the the oxygen levels going down in all these leagues. And I mean, it's you know the Super Bowl the lowest ratings they've had in years. Um, I'm very curious about you know, the ratings of college basketball, which I just think is basically unwatchable compared to what I loved back in the two, you know, late nineties, two thousands, you know, hockey hasn't had a multimedia strategy and ever. Uh, And then you'll, you know, and then, I mean, NBA basketball would be, and I I don't know if NBA basketball, I think NBA basketball might've hit a zenith. I think uh, from the standpoint that I think, especially, I mean, the whole James Harden thing going to New Jersey and how that all worked out and, and, and just some of these things happening. Uh, it, it just, I'm, I'm, and, you know, and, and it, you know, speaks volumes that, you know, here we are, you know, is sports is kind of tailing off a little bit, at least from a rating standpoint, that all of a sudden we're, they're all running around supporting the, uh, and, and making partnerships with uh, betting, you know, applicate, you know, uh, apps and stuff like that. And, uh, um, so I, I, I don't know. I don't know. 
to, to, to the baseball point, by the way, which is how we started that little, uh, you know, fair off speech there. Um, I, I, I just think they're, they're struggling to figure out. And, and Brandon, you really, really nailed it on the head. I mean, we, we, we watched the World Series, and I mean, there were four-and-a-half-hour games, and I mean, there were just – the ratings were obviously reflective of what they were, which is basically 1% action, 99% standing around and, and just spinning off into the distance. And baseball's got to figure something out. And, and they've got it. And, and I mean, the good news is uh, with um, uh, Theo Epstein uh, going to be, you know, uh, you know, has a role and hopefully Theo has an idea as to how to get baseball into a way more watchable medium than, than where we're at now. So, uh, yeah, I assume they're going to put like some windmills in the outfield and if you <laughs> hit a ball through one of them, you get a prize or something. No. Okay. I, no, um, but 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 Justin, let me ask you: Do you think I'm being dire in my in, in my explanation of where sports are at from a, the, the, and especially baseball? Because I I just think that this this dispels desperation in me. No, I, I I don't think you're way off base by any stretch of the imagination. I think there's a lot of things in play right now, um, and I think baseball is doing its best job to um, ride a three-legged three-legged donkey down the Grand Canyon paths I mean that they could potentially just kill themselves uh, with a labor dispute next year um, so yeah there and I I understand why the union takes some of the positions that it does um, and then there are other things that I'm like, why are you guys fighting this particular fight? And I'm really confused by it. So I think Tony Clark needs to understand uh, <laughs> the score. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm worried. I am legitimately worried about where baseball is headed. There's no doubt about it. Uh, but I'm more worried about it from uh, structurally than even the gameplay and the gameplay needs to be addressed unequivocally it needs to be addressed but not by having mascots run the bases in lieu of players you know or, or and, and again I'm, I'm really being difficult here but the the runner on second and extra innings is one of the dumbest things i've ever heard in my entire life Seven inning doubleheaders, I find personally disappointing. I understand why they're doing it. Um, some of the other things that they've proposed make sense, some don't, but Universal DH, I've resigned myself to accepting. <laughs> um, again, don't like it. Don't think there should be a DH in the American League. So I am in the severe minor minority. Fine, I, I yield. Uh, DH for everyone. Um, but, and you know what? It's, 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 it comes down to enforcing pace of play rules. And if they're not going to do it, then I, I, I mean, I mean, it, it's, you know, and I know they've put things at, like the clock. The clock has helped. It honestly has helped. The in-between innings clocks and stuff like that. They get it done in the 30 seconds and there's no dawdling or anything like that. So yay. Um, the mound visits, 
I think has had no impact whatsoever. Nobody ever gets anywhere near six mound visits a game in a game that I have watched. You know, yes, we know the Yankees and Red Sox, you know, their games took seven hours on a normal basis. I mean, because every single at bat, the player had to step out of the box. You know, David Ortiz had to genuflect and then, you know, get a little bit of holy water and then towel himself off and then get back in the box. So, I, I, I mean, we, we know the stuff like that is going on, but if, if they're not going to enforce the player staying in the box during the at-bat, what does it matter? Because that's where the game takes forever. It's, it's, it's not this other stuff. And, and this, you know, pitchers have to pitch to three hitters. I have mixed emotions because it absolutely drives me up a wall when Robin Ventura down by seven in a September game when his team's 30 games out of first place decides to change pitchers six times over two innings. That's infuriating. But again, why it's fundamental. I don't know. I'm, I'm rambling now, so I'll stop <laughs> rambling, but they got some real big fish to fry. And I, right I, first it's structural. Then it's gotta be game. Uh, no, and I, I, I think with baseball, there are so many problems. The question is, where do you start? That's absolutely true. But I think is is that if the other sports are thinking, well, that's baseball, and we don't have to worry about those things, they're sadly mistaken. And Brandon, I'm telling you right now, it's just that, that, that this whole uh, – all of a sudden, this association with betting apps all of a sudden just spells desperation for all these leagues. And, and I just I wonder at what point is there some uh, awaken them all getting you know woken up to go oh boy we got to start doing something here. Yeah, because I, I think in large respect the fantasy craze has died down. You know, fantasy football remains you know pretty strong. Uh, I think fantasy baseball follows it fairly closely, but you know, fantasy basketball and 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 hockey never really took nationally. Right. And. And I think there's a downward trend for even fantasy football. The product is not great. Uh, the product of these leagues isn't great. And, you know, the, the, the runner on second is, to me, a desecration. Uh, and it, if they put that in place, they should all resign. Like, I mean, that would be such a – so flagrant. Um, I mean, they better yeah. play circus would, music to start the I wouldn't, even, I wouldn't even know what to say. I mean, you're, you're – you're screwing around with a game that's been been here for a hundred and I don't know thirty years, whatever more. More, more. Even more. Just even as just the MLB, just it's just I I, I, I was speechless when I read that. I, I truly can't believe that they would do that. If you want to play clown cars for the NFL, it's a clown car league to begin with. You have six 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 guys that run like a four six forty, so it's already a clown show. Like, you know, hockey, whatever. Nobody cares. If you want to make, if you want to do stupid things to that, I don't like it, but fair enough. Like, you know, and then basketball, they haven't done too much stupid stuff with, but I just, I'm just stunned. And if they want to drive me away from baseball, go keep doing what you're doing. Yeah. I'll, yeah. I'll just watch reruns of the 80s or something. I don't know. And Rod Allen chasing a Japanese guy around the field. Yeah. Yeah, just, uh, but, but, and that, that is exactly how I feel about that. I mean, baseball has, I mean, the major, major leagues have been around for over 150 years. Um, And there have been almost no rule changes. I mean, 
some small things, raising and lowering the mound, for example. Um, I mean, you're talking about tweaks to the game, um, the DH being one of the most significant um, changes to the game. So doing things that directly impact how a game can be concluded, such as extra innings, putting a runner on for no reason. I mean, that's fundamental. That's a fundamental change as to how the game is won. You're, that's like saying, yeah, that's like saying in overtime in hockey, you should reduce the number of players on the, oh, wait, they did that. <laughs> um, Nobody cares. So, well, fine, but but it's like in football. It's, <laughs> it's, 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 it's like saying everybody in football, um, you know, in 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 extra, in 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 overtime, offense gets to carry thirteen players on the field and the defense eleven. It's it's the same thing. It's absurd. It's absolutely absurd. True. True. No. No. I, I think we all agree. We're, it's not good. So. Anyway, I think we've we've uh, <laughs> killed the poor horse. <laughs> By the way, I've been looking for uh, Robert Morris gear. Um, I've not had a lot of success. Um, I've not. I've not had a lot of success. We I mean, got about seven months for his birthday, so we'll be able to plenty of time. Hopefully, there will be a good clothing line created, dedicated to Robert Morris, just for Brandon. Yes, like I googled it, and like other colleges stuff came up. You you look great on the golf course this summer, and Robert Morris. Uh, the latest Robert Morris wears. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, any. Uh, any last-minute thoughts or anything else on the upcoming baseball season that you guys wanted to touch on? I just slowly and you know waiting for this uh, crew of pitchers uh, for the Tigers to start you know arriving up there, and of course you know you know Torkelson and uh, um, and, and the crew. I mean, I just I I, I think that that wake's gonna kill us, but we're gonna love it when it gets started, and hopefully it's as good as we think it's going to be. So, but yeah, ma manage your expectation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I do suppose that's true, but it will be fun. Torkelson and um, Riley Green will be in camp, um, so we'll at least get to see them. Um, a little bit and you know we, we can live vicariously through the minor league box scores something we didn't touch on minor leagues were completely reorganized so that's probably worth talking about at some point um, reduce the number of minor league teams pretty drastically um, also uh, Lakeland is no longer the Tigers high A affiliate it's now low A and Grand Rapids is high A just little stuff like that but uh, anyway that's going to wrap it up for this edition of the Saturday Morning Sports Emporium we'll be back at this probably in two weeks maybe three um, kind of depending on what happens in the sports world so on and so forth I mean, you never know these days so with that said for Adam Swenson and Brandon Lee my name is Justin Lee thanks for listening to another edition of the Saturday Morning Sports Emporium Thanks for listening.